Welcome to Invisible Talks, where the truth, different perspectives, and stories are discussed with invisible voices. Media outlets vary in using anonymous sources. There's no such thing as off the record, but here on Invisible Talks, all of our stories are off the record. If you're good, put the pieces together. I'm your host, Tyra Elin, recording in the Podcast Town studio. I want to hear your story and perspective to make my life better. I'm tuned in. A mother's desire is to raise her child, see her child thrive, and often she's tested as they grow. But the goal is to never give up in prayer or in spirit. This is a testament to a mother's strength. Let's take a listen. So welcome to Invisible Talks. One of the things I always start off with is just background on your upbringing, where you're from, some of the ins and out of who you lived with, siblings and all of that. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, never resided anywhere else. I was raised by both of my grandmas and my mom. I remember going to stay with my mom once I was like 12 years old. I think I stayed with her from up until like the age of five, Um, but she worked a lot. So I stayed with my dad's mom for some time and then my mom's mom, who was my school teacher in elementary. So I used to walk to school with her. And then I went to reside with my mom after like the age of 12. How was that transition being with your grandparents who are, you know, there's wisdom, there's love, there's cuddles. There's a different type of embracing and then transitioning to your mom once you were starting to get older. I enjoyed being with my grandparents because at the time it was like innocence. I didn't really understand a lot. They taught me so much, my both grandparents. And I think that's probably why I act so old now from being raised by both of them. But definitely a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge. I think it made me, molded me into who I am today. What are some things that stood out from how they raised you that you implement with your children today? Most importantly, respect. You know, older people are big on respect, big on you waiting to don't butt in while uh, adults are talking. My grandmother was my mom's mom. She was really big on um, academics because she was a school teacher. So she took education um, very serious. Her rules around the house, if she say be home at eight o'clock, if you ain't there at eight o'clock, she is literally walking outside looking around for you. So just her rules and um, her ethics and her education, like she was very smart. And I remember like my dad's mom, I think they she dropped out of third grade. You know, it was different growing up back in the in the South, but she dropped out of third grade. So education, she wasn't really big on. But far as showing love, like she didn't have much, but she always found the way to come up with some money to take me places. She showed a a, a lot of love. She was big on cooking, big on spending time with each other. So both of them, like I can't take one from the other. Like I learned a lot from both of them. Right. They filled in the missing pieces. Yeah. Okay, so today's theme is really focusing on parenting in general. So how many children do you have? What's your relationship with them? Um, I have three children, two girls. They're twins. They're nine years old. And I have a 15-year-old. My relationship, I'm really close to all of my children. Um, We all got our own separate little relationship. But yet I still try to show the same love to all of them because I know what it feels like, like, 
my mom had me and my brother. It was just me and my brother. Once I turned about 14, we moved in with my stepbrother and sister. But I remember times where I felt like my brother got showed a little more love. So everything that I, I learned from being, you know, in those predicaments, I try to apply it to my parenting to grow from. You know, I was thinking about that the other day, having three girls and the two oldest and how I interact with each one of them, especially because the two year old, she's really a big personality and how sometimes I do things that comes off as favoritism. And it's not. It's just understanding that I have to love them differently, still love them the same amount. And so how do you navigate when kids feel as if someone's getting more favoritism than the other? It's a lot of explaining in my house, especially um, the youngest twin. She's very verbal about her feelings and stuff that she don't like. I love it because it's it's helpful, too. You know, it's not her just holding stuff in and me trying to figure out. So it's a lot of explaining. Like if she feel like I don't care if you put one bow in her, the other twins hair and she didn't get one. She wants you to explain why that's happening. Um, and my son, too. Sometimes I have to explain to him, you may see the twins have 12 outfits versus your three expensive outfits because it's a very difference in pricing. So I try to explain just about everything to them. And I know a lot of adults feel like, well, they kids, I don't have to explain that to them. But for me, it works. And I just want them to understand because I don't want them to grow up and feel like I favoritize one of them. So the reason why this topic was introduced is because something that you put on Facebook, um, there was a situation with, I'm assuming, the oldest, the 15-year-old, your son. Can you explain what happened in, you know, the beginning and the end? So my son is going through this transitioning stage where I feel like he's trying to fit in. Sometimes I feel like it's him fitting in, but more so of I feel like he's more influential influential than anything um and it's this what I've learned um I spent a lot of time with him and his friends so all of the kids that was really raised in rough neighborhoods like what we consider the ghetto um they they desire to have the life that he lived and him being raised in the suburbs he desired to have the life that they live so it's like this clean back and forth. Normally the ones who 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 are raised in rougher neighborhoods aren't the ones getting in trouble with him. And the ones that I call silver spoon fed are the ones out here doing all this stuff. So I was I was out of town last week and my son was at home with my mom. And so I FaceTimed Sunday morning and my youngest twin daughter, she's like, I don't think he's downstairs in his room. So um, I called and I put a missing report out on out on him, you know, as a runaway. Uh, about two hours later, the police called my mom back and said, hey, can you come ID him on this picture um, as being in a possible stolen vehicle? So all we heard was stolen vehicle. They didn't give any details as to how the vehicle was stolen. But just as a parent, that's all I needed to hear. So um, my mom went to ID the picture and she told me, you know, it was him and it was one of his friends at this gas station putting gas in his vehicle. The police did kind of 
add a little stuff into it. And I don't know if he felt like if he told me uh, some of these details, I'll be more uh, like trying to hurry up and get them and bring them in, which which it did. And he was like, well, yeah, this this stolen car was found in Chicago and we still don't know where your son is. So after, you know, talking to a few of the friends, I kind of got a real idea as to what was going on. So once I I remember that Sunday morning speaking with one of his uh, really close friends, her mom, and she informed me that she had ran away on Friday and she was the one possibly with my son in this car. So Monday morning, I'm back from Georgia. I can't sleep, of course, because I'm texting my son. He's not replying to none of my messages, but I see that he's actively reading them. It was still kind of scary because I know with him and his friends, a lot of them, they share their Facebook pages. So you don't know if it's him or somebody else. So um, that Monday morning, um, my pastor is a cop and I reached out to him. So I had third district. Well, backing up, I realized that he didn't have the iCloud uh, cut off on my daughter's phone that they were still carrying around. So I had third district assist me at this location um, where it said that he was. Well, it only told a, a block, but I knew that that one of his friends lived there. So they assist me with um, possibly finding him because I was going to teach him a lesson. I was going to have them take him in through the regular processing like they would if they would have found them on their own. So when I get to the house, me and my mom kind of hid on the side of the street, which was like Clark Street. And the police is like, well, you know, if we knock and they don't answer the door, there's really nothing we can do about it. So sure enough, they knocked on the door. They didn't answer the door and they just gave me their card and was like, if you, you know, come in contact with them, call us. So I'm like, okay, well, they seen me park my car right in front of the house because if y'all can't get in, I'm about to get in because I know that my child is here or my phone is here, some trace of him being here. So I started knocking on the neighbor's door, showing them the picture of my kids, telling them he's possibly in a stolen car. And the, the neighbor just so happened to be the landlord at this house. So she was like, when they seen her come in front of the house and she was explaining like, yeah, mom is here. So I started knocking on the windows and the young man, which is my son's friend, he came to the window and he was like, I told you that Tarnell isn't here. And I'm like, listen, either my son is here or um, my phone is here and I need one of them. So um, I'm like, where's your mom? I need your mom's number or something. So shortly, uh, the police started walking back up like, you know, why didn't you guys open the door for us? He's like, well, because I told her her son was not here. Um, he was like, my mom isn't here. But then his mom starts walking up looking like maybe she was sleeping. So we kind of filled her in on what was going on. And the police asked her for permission just to search the house, just to clear them of the kids being there. So she she was like, yeah, you know, well, just give us a second. So she kind of walked through the house. She came back. She was like, well, there's no boy in here, but there's a young girl in here. And I'm like, yeah, I told the police who I thought it was in there because this girl was trying to hide so that I couldn't see her face. 
sure enough, the young lady that was had been missing since Friday was there, and they did take her back home. So after that, she had ran away because her mom took her cell phone from her. So my son gave her my daughter's phone to keep up with him, and that's how we found her. Okay. <laughs> what a cycle. Yeah. And you still haven't found your son at this oh, point. Oh, no. So after finding her, I uh, sent my son a message because now I'm eliminating people who could be, I know it's only like three friends who read these messages, her being one of them. Now she don't have no phone. She's in the police car on the way home. His other best friend, um, we go to church together and I reached out to mom to kind of make sure he wasn't on social media. Every parent that I knew of the kids that they kind of cling with, just not having them on social media until he's found with help. So I, I sent him a message. I said, hey, um, I found your friend and I could ensure you that before the night is over, I will have a location as to where you are. So before I put your picture on social media, you may want to just tell me where you are so I can come pick you up. So he's reading the messages, not replying. Um, So I post this picture on social media and within 20, I think 45 minutes, the picture went viral. And within 20 minutes, he's reaching out to his father to come pick him up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So um, dad reached out to me and was like, you know, I got him. Um, Come on. So we could just have a talk. And then you could, you know, take him to turn himself in or, you know, whatever. So I even gave him the choice. You want to deal with Milwaukee police or you want to deal with Hartford because we live in Hartford. So um, he was not happy about that at all because, I mean, he's been in trouble with the law before, but it was mainly stuff with he say, she say, this kid took that in the suburbs. I They take everything serious. I don't care what you do. You going to court for it. You getting a citation for it. And a part of me liked that because even as a minor, they're holding them accountable at an early age. So um, I turned him, you know, turned him into the police and just explained everything because he was still reported missing. And at the time, he had a GPS monitor on his ankle because the last incident that he got into Uh, with his friends, I kind of explained to them that was the only way I would let him come back home is if I know where he is at all times. And me just trying to explain to him too, like, I don't think you understand as a parent, aside from keeping you clean, keeping you sheltered, it's my job and my responsibility to make sure that you're safe. And if your behaviors are becoming risky, making sure other people are safe as well. So right now he's at the stage where he he's refusing to talk to me. He's not happy, but I'm fine because I can sleep at night knowing he is safe where he is. So is he with you or is he with dad? He's at this place. It's called a it's a shelter for kids. So they don't put them in like they feel like it's not bad enough to be in jail. So it's it's like a shelter. You still go to school from here. It is not it's not a secured facility. So if you want to, you can walk out at any time, but you can still get like the therapy and everything you need from being there versus secure detention. Define your experiences in this journey with your son as having to practice tough love. Most definitely. Most definitely. So I I later found out that this this relationship, he was having a relationship with the girl 
and she had been giving him the keys to the car to drive. Uh, occasionally she'll park it down the street, put the keys in. Well, this particular day, she asked for the car back and he didn't come back. And she had to tell her parents that reported it stolen. But, and I understand that. Like, I feel like both of you should be held accountable, but I can only focus on you, you know? So as a parent, the toughest thing about showing tough love is that it's tough on you. You know, it hurt like hell to have to even uh, do all of this to my child. But in the same sense, I feel like I'm saving him. He don't understand, you know, the ramifications as to what this type of uh, behavior and lifestyle could lead to. So right now, me just being the one like, I, I could decide with the courts if I want him to come home right now. But no, I need him to learn the natures of um, your actions. You know, even if she did ask you for her vehicle back, when you didn't return the vehicle, at this point, you're stealing, you know. So I want him to be held accountable for everything that he's doing. And at what point do you feel like you have to wash your hands and be okay with his decisions and the consequences of those decisions at the point that we are now like he's been getting in trouble a lot and even though it's to me they're starting to get a little more riskier with these behaviors the fact that I feel like you go to court one time you don't know what decision a judge is going to make for you so the fact that I've kind of explained that to you and broke that down and you're still doing stuff Now I got to get tougher on you. This is the first time where he's went to somewhere like this and I'm not calling. I'm not running stuff up there. He's letting it be known that he's not speaking with me right now. He's he's calling me an officer. I don't want to say my last name, but he's calling me officer that. And I'm really just like fine. I'm fine with it. You know, it it used to hurt when he get in trouble. I'll be doing more crying because he don't understand like the route that he's going and I see where it's going. So it was more hurtful on me as a parent. But like I explained at church Sunday, when you know that you've raised your kids to the best of your ability. And I mean, like literally you, you got a a nice environment you live in. I resided you uh, 45 minutes away from where we normally live to just try to give you the, the best, life possible moving away from friends but what I've realized through this entire transition when a child have their mind made up as to what route they're going to take you can really do anything to keep them away from it but they're still going to cling to it he's at church every Sunday like I raised you up under the leadership of God you still going to make whatever decision you want to in life When I listen to this, I think about when I was in high school and this rebellious spirit that was just over me. I fought, I argued, I smoked, I drank. I did everything that I knew I shouldn't do. Um, And the reasons why I did each of those things were all different. Do you, and especially him being in high school and having these desires and still confused, like we're still trying to find our identity, even in college as humans at times. Um, Have you when we talk about therapy and the family and stuff, identify the root to why he feels like this is the path for him, even though it's causing 
a destruction to his future potentially. Yeah, same same that you said. Like a lot of stuff that I did, uh, rebelling because always having to go to church, you want to see what it's like to be on the other side. You know, I don't think that it, I never had like any police contact. It didn't get too bad. I, I kind of caught myself and got a grips on myself before I self-destructed, but everybody's mind is different. And I think that he is going through this phase where it's like, you tell me you that this is supposed to be this way, but I want to see for myself. And I think that's the phase that he's going through. Like, I'm like, dude, even his father, like his father wasn't like in the streets or so. I don't know where you're getting these type of behaviors from yet. And still, I realize too, we have a lot of family members who kids openly use marijuana. They openly do a lot of stuff that they're not supposed to. So when he look and he see, man, such and such is letting their kids do X, Y, Z, he feel like it's tougher on, like, you really just being mean or you're being too strict. Not realizing this is stuff that it's not normal for children to be able to do this type of stuff in front of their parents or at all. Right. So how do you, with your twin girls, what conversation, and you guys communicate a lot, do you have with them that they understand this isn't acceptable and this is how I'm navigating it? And what's the lessons for them to to learn and how do you teach that at such a young age? They remind me so much of myself. Like even growing up, I had a, they say I had an old soul. Even hearing them trying to uh, motivate him and encourage him to do better. Um, if they hear him talking back, a lot of them intervene. And I mean, both of them are intervening in their own special way, just letting him know, like, mom does everything possible for us. They always trying to give him a word of encouragement to do better and to be better. Um, even hearing little stuff that, you know, they say far as his behavior is like something's wrong with him or like they just know it's not normal. Um, and I'm glad that God sent me them because when even with him rebellion the way that he is, I have like these two who are still they innocent and they're showing me that what I'm teaching them, they're getting from it. Another thing far as him with him that I didn't disclose was that he has mental health issues. And it's been a battle since I realized it at like three years old, but he wasn't diagnosed until five years old. And the older he gets, it gets worse. So when I remember like the age 11, when we uh, moved to West Bend, it just got really bad. I tried to get him as much support as possible because I was thinking too, like, it's just like if you take a fish out of a water, you taking him out of his natural environment and he really don't know how to cope with this. And aside from having mental health issues, it's the same with them taking them out of their natural environment. Um, it was it was rough for him. Um, and me just trying to keep encouraging him that regardless of what stuff look like, because I know he used to say stuff like I can't make friends out here. People think um, they're better than me. Me just really um, encouraging him that we all the same. You have the same stuff as everybody else. It might look like this. So when we move to where we are, where we are now. And he starts seeing like a lot of the family uh, dysfunctions out playing or like right in front of him with our neighbors and stuff. He started realizing more that like, you know, 
dang, they go through the same type of stuff that we go through. And that, that helped a little. Um, but then when he got to 14 and 15, it's like, I want to be with my friends. I want to wake up here in Milwaukee where I know everybody. So I think a lot of these behaviors, he's clinging for attention from his father and him just wanting to be around everybody. I don't know if it's because you want to be in Milwaukee or it's because you know that you have more access to stuff that you shouldn't at the age of 15 or stuff you shouldn't be around. Mm -hmm. I think that hits home on a very key question for parents, especially those who have been in the church or raised their kids in the church. How do you separate your identity as their mother and their actions so you're not taking on what they do is because I lacked in blank. Yeah. And that's what, and I, I just stood up and explained that at church because a lot of them have been watching, you know, the story unfold too. Um, I'm very verbal about everything I go through and I like being open and transparent with people because the more I talk to people, I realize they're going through, you know, similar situations and just trying to encourage them to and tell them like, you can do X, Y, Z. I watched my mom do it for me and I still rebuild. So watching him is just like a reflection of the, the, the process that I went through for a very short second. And like I said, I understand we're all different and we'll catch on when we, when it's right for us. Um, just knowing that, um, when, when they, the, the Bible teaches us that if we train up a child in a way that they should go, when they old, they won't depart from it. So that's not saying that they won't do stuff. They won't rebel. It's just that eventually they'll come back to the roots of what they were taught. When they see that everything's not working out for them, they'll know, like, you know, maybe I should go back to those roots of what I was taught because I did it. Right. That leads to a very, I feel like that was wisdom that wrapped up parenting. Yes. Because it's easy to say, man, I should have. And understanding that there are lessons that children have to learn. My mom lived a life. I mean, she lived a life. And what I always take from her life is, had she not been the way she was, I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't know how to persevere. I wouldn't be determined. I wouldn't have drive because all of her obstacles strengthened me. And if I give it to them too easy... To your point, that weak mind of, you know, falling into temptation or you're just not working hard. The work ethic, it won't be there. Yeah. Um, so I always try to wrap up with something from this book. It's how to be more tree like. And I really don't know where my sister found it, but I've enjoyed reading it after each interview because it's always something. So this one is the Rowan, I believe is the tree. And it says, celebrate what you're good at. You don't have to be the biggest or the strongest or the flowers to thrive. Take the modest little rowan. This slow growing tree can be found everywhere from the side of the mountain to the suburb garden. For most of the year, you probably won't even notice that it's there. The secret to its success is bright red berries. It grows in autumn. The birds love them and disperse the rowan seeds everywhere. In fact, the seeds won't even germinate. Okay, new words. The seeds won't even germinate until they've passed through the gut of the bird. What do you feel when you hear that? To me, that's just saying basically what I'm, what I just kind of wrapped up, like he's a work in progress. So hopefully when he gets older, he's going to look back at all this stuff that he did 
and not let it discourage him from where he is once he's grown past it. So yeah, I went through X, Y, Z, but now I'm here and it kind of molded me into who I am today. Great way to wrap it up. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your wisdom. I'm always learning something as a parent, as just a, a student of life. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. These stories, they connect us. The ultimate question, what was the journey like to freedom? Wait, journey is agreeing to disagree, different perspectives, healing from within, all because life and legacy are complex. Beauty feels good when it's from within. We see people everywhere, but do we really see them? Hear their thoughts, griefs, pain, or struggles? To be strong is to heal. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he will help you catch your breath. Remember to breathe. You're stronger than you think. Make sure you stay connected by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Invisible Talks Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyra Eatland.